Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll have a discussion about problem gambling with the chief of a state agency that seeks to help those dealing with that issue. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Karina Nova presents information about the coronavirus, the fight over vaccine mandates, an effort in Columbus to give ex-convicts a second chance, and problems within Ohio's funeral industry. And in about 40 minutes, I'll talk with the president and CEO of a nonprofit organization called Population Connection, which looks at the impact of population growth. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Stacy Fronapple-Hassan, who is the Chief for Prevention and Problem Gambling for the state of Ohio. How are you? I'm good, Dave. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. You're within the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, right? That is correct. It makes sense to be there. Gambling is certainly an addiction among some, and, and that's uh, your effort to try to stop that. That's right. We have, um, we have a partnership that we refer to as Ohio for Responsible Gambling that was created when the casinos were initially put into uh, the state. And Ohio for Responsible Gambling is the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services and the Ohio Lottery, Ohio Lottery Commission, Ohio Casino Control Commission, and Ohio Racing Commission. So that we work as a group to ensure responsible gambling measures are in place and the um, continuum of care for services for prevention of problem gambling, treatment and recovery for people who have a, developed a gambling disorder. And we'll talk uh, in a few minutes about how big of a problem it is, but this time of year is of special concern for you folks, right? It is. There's a couple things that, that take place around the holidays. Um, one, obviously, is, is gifts. And we find that parents, grandparents, um, often will, will provide kids with lottery tickets. It's become somewhat of a common stocking stuffer. And... You know, folks think, that's nice. You know, it's a little bit of excitement. You know, what can it hurt? Unfortunately, it, it does have the potential for getting some dopamine flowing. And that's that chemical in the brain that kind of lights up our brain and makes us think, wow, that's cool. You know, this is a really awesome feeling, and I want to feel it again. And whether you're six years old, you know, or 60 years old, dopamine impacts the brain in the same way. So if you have a 60-year-old getting a lottery ticket and winning $50, which may be a lot of money for most six-year-olds, sure. um, they, they get that, that you know, rush, basically, of, of dopamine, and it just creates a pathway in the brain. And if the whole family is kind of around the Christmas tree while they open it and find out they've won, if it's a scratch-off ticket or something and everybody's praising them, they not only won, but they're being rewarded and, and uh, complimented for it. It's just a, a, an extreme high. It, it really is. Yeah, there's you know, a lot of noise. Um, people may be clapping or saying yay. And for anyone who's ever been in one of the casinos, um, the picture that we're painting should also remind us of what it's like when someone you know, wins a table game or hits on a slot machine. Lights, sounds, people yelling. You know, even though we might be talking about a, a very young child, our brains, I mean, that, that's how they're built. They're built to create pathways, which is what makes us really good at something, um, makes us really enjoy something, and, and also can lead to problems down the road. 
I must be a little bit on the selfish side because I wouldn't give a grandkid a scratch-off lottery ticket for fear they might win 50000 and I wouldn't win it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always make those, you know, deals ahead of time. Now, if you win anything, we're going to split it. Right. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's the deal that you want to make with an adult. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. But, and I don't remember that as a child I ever received them, but I've certainly seen it, and I've talked to other adults who have said, that that was a common practice in their family to have lottery tickets, um, you know, in stockings. And it's, and it's not just that, you know, and it's not just scratch-offs. It's also um, games that we give our young people who that, that can encourage gambling. And I've seen one of my grandsons playing a game on his iPad. I mean, it's a little, it was a little kid's game, and it had a, a slot machine in it where he had to scan up, you know, through the rollers, basically, until he thought it was just the right time, and then he'd hit the stop button and find out if he won a prize. Hmm. And this is a little child's game. It looks exactly like a slot machine, and the outcome is, did you get to level up, or did you get free, whatever. You know, in Fortnite, it would be something like a shield or a sword, but this was a, a younger kid's game, so it might have been a coin or a jewel. Right. Um, those creators of slot machines are the same creators and the same science that goes into our kids' games. So the advice there is just, as a parent, know what's in the games that you're giving your children. They're like uh, little recruiting tools, aren't they? They are. Um, we used to use the term normalizing a lot. Um, they are normalizing gambling activities for young people. There's a lot of normalizing that goes on in our culture. Um, grooming is another term for, you know, urging young people down a certain path. Uh, and there's a big push right now to create that in the minds of, of our children and young adults, teenagers, um, that this is okay, that this is a way to have fun. And yes, it can be a way to have fun. Um, and, and it is for many people. But the sooner you start something like this, the more likely you are to potentially have a problem with it down the road. Candy cigarettes, I guess, right? Same thing. I And I, I still see those in some stores, which surprises me, and, yeah. and the cigars. And, you know, as, as kids, we thought, well, this is cool. We look cool. We look like the adults. And all kids want to do is be adults and be like adults, you know, at some level in their brains. Talking with Stacy Fronapple-Hassan, she's the Chief for Prevention and Problem Gambling in Ohio, which is within the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. Touching briefly, because the governor hasn't signed this, it's not in, into effect yet as we record this, but you mentioned gaming and you know maybe online activity, and sports betting may or may not come to Ohio next year, which I guess will be another issue that you, you would take up if that happens. Absolutely. That would be part of the work that we would look at within the Ohio for Responsible Gambling framework. Um, it certainly, you know, has been something that we've watched. I mentioned our continuum of care for problem gambling and gambling disorder services. So we would, we would certainly have a strong emphasis on preventing any problem gambling from developing, on helping people make responsible gambling decisions. Um, you know, planning how much they're going to spend, not borrowing, not using credits, not getting drunk, 
um, you know, gambling with a with a friend, not doing it alone, all of those things that are part of any gambling scenario, we would uh, we strongly encourage folks to take into consideration with sports gambling as well. How big of a problem is problem gambling in Ohio? Right now, we have one out of 100 individuals in Ohio, and then let me say that's adults, 18 and up. One out of 100 are diagnosable with a gambling disorder, which is a, certainly a significant rate, that 1%. And one out of 10, um, when taking a survey, would show as being at risk of developing a gambling disorder. Um, so obviously, that 10% are at risk of developing gambling disorder. So folks you know, folks you come in contact with, um, it's similar to other addictions in that regard. That's also around one out of 10. And uh, we have increased in in the last five to seven years, um, really since we started having casinos and venues and, and racinos in Ohio. But we also have, um, there are more opportunities there are opportunities, you know, at the end of your hand and your and your cell phone. It's just part of our culture at this point. We're referencing normalizing. You know, it's become completely normal. You can watch ESPN, and you're not not just watching sports talk shows. You're watching the odds and you know what they're saying in Vegas, and um, it's just part of our day to day. So with the statistic of one out of 100 in Ohio being diagnosable, that would be a, a close to 100,000 adults in Ohio. And then the, the ones with potential problems would be a million. So, I mean, we're talking about staggering numbers. They, they really are. And we can't do enough. And we are doing, you know, we, we do an awful lot. Um, that's why we have beforeyoubet.org. It is a gambling prevention uh, gambling prevention website that also focuses significantly on responsible gambling before you bet.org and then for children and parents of children and educators we have changed the game ohio.org and a lot of marketing around both of those campaigns to drive people to just their common sense resources but when when you cross that line into addictive behavior Things like um, things like common sense are you know, they're out the window when someone is is feeling that compulsive behavior to gamble. In this case, in other in other cases, it would be uh, a substance use disorder, that kind of compulsion. But our main focus at this point is preventing those behaviors from getting to that point. I would guess that people who are mired in a gambling addiction start to act maybe a little uh, shady around the rest of the family? There's something going on with them that isn't quite explainable? Uh, they're acting a little bit different and nobody can figure out what's going on? I wouldn't use the word shady, but that, <laughs> that, um, that is, that's exactly what happens. I mean, you have, you have a, a loved one or a friend and you're not seeing them as often as you used to. Um, you know, there's time missing. There's money missing. Um, you may see a strange credit card bill that you didn't know you had. They may not be attending as many family events as they used to, or they're anxious. You know, there's that anxiety or, or depression. What we've seen with, with adolescents is um, missing items 
you know, I lost my cell phone, you know. Well, you lost your cell phone three months ago. We just got you a new cell phone. Well, I'm sorry, what can I do? Or it was stolen from my locker, um, you know, my ja- jacket, my tennis shoes, Nintendo Switch, you know, big ticket items. They can disappear. Um, and for adults, it might be something that could be pawned. And those should be red flags. They absolutely should be red flags. But a lot of a lot of family members, they just don't think about gambling. It hasn't been a part of their lives. So we try to provide that education. If you see these things, ask the questions, or you can direct someone, if it's an adult, to beforeyoubet.org. There's a simple two-minute quiz there, and it'll tell someone if they are, I mean, it's not gambling at all, no issues, but if they are gambling, at what level, and when should they be concerned, and when should they talk to a professional. And we have Problem Gambling Helpline, 24-7, 365, People can call the Problem Gambling Helpline, 1-800-589-9966, 1-800-589-9966. Call specialists will take that call. Um, they will provide referrals. They will talk to the individual and find out what's going on. And if that caller would want to talk to a qualified gambling clinician right then, we also have that available so that the call can be transferred to a gambling clinician for a little bit of a, you know, what amounts to some telehealth therapy that might help someone start on the path to getting help and turning around their lives if they need that. Talking with Stacy Fronapple-Hassan, she is the Chief for Prevention and Problem Gambling for the state of Ohio. You know, I presented myself with a teachable moment a few minutes ago when I used the word shady and... The state is embarking on this big campaign right now to stop the stigma about addiction, about you know all levels of addiction, all types of addiction, and that's a great example of that, using a negative connotation for somebody who's mired in an addiction like gambling. It doesn't help them a bit to, to call them shady when they've got a problem that they're trying to work their way through. That just doesn't help at all. Well, I appreciate you making, making the point yourself. Um, we do have that new campaign out and it's very exciting to see it's been somewhat of a 20-year mission of my own um, stigma reduction Mm -hmm. and this campaign is completely focused in that space and since I've been working in the gambling world you know we hear the term it's kind of a historical term degenerate gambler and it's the perfect example of that impression that people have um, of it being a moral failing of gambling being a moral failing, substance use disorder being a moral failing, um, sometimes mental health. You see somebody who, who may have a diagnosis in the mental health space and they get lumped into that same perception. And we have to help people understand and in ourselves, these are illnesses. These are diseases. You know, there is treatment. There is recovery. There is medication in many cases. And Folks can live normal lives, but we have to recognize what's going on and and help people or ourselves get the help we need, or regardless, you know, regardless of what's going on, whether it's diabetes or it's gambling. And going all the way back to the beginning of this interview, when you talked about the six or ten year old who gets the lottery ticket and wins, you know, fifty bucks, and his brain will light up differently than another kid's brain will, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. That's exactly right. Well, I mean, there's, you know, there's science. There's a, there's a chemical dopamine. And right. 
But you could have two brothers. You could have two brothers, and one of them it might not have anywhere near the impact that it would on the other one. Right. And, and you know, your, your, your memory, your brain remembers that. It was this rush. So the next time you had the opportunity, and that's why the lottery spends a lot of time and effort and finances, uh, resources on ensuring that lottery tickets aren't available for young people that lottery machines are in places where a clerk can keep an eye on them, you know, that they're not sold over the counter to people under age 18. Um, this, this, is, this is brain science, and it's not a pathway that we want to create in an individual's brain. Stacy Fronapple Hassan again, Chief for Prevention and Problem Gambling. Anything else you'd like to add? I, you know, I appreciate that mention of the new campaign, and I, you know, I will also encourage folks to take a look at that. It looks like a game show when you see the commercials on television. Um, And please keep in mind before you bet.org. And if folks want to take the quiz, they could do then backslash the quiz or change the game. Ohio, tons of resources, um, parents, educators, and adults would appreciate. Good information. Stacy. thanks so much for your time today. Sure appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Hey, this is Grace Gostad. I'm a singer-songwriter, and like many, I've been traumatized by years of bullying. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're gay. You're worthless. Bullying causes real harm and can result in severe long-term depression, anxiety, addiction, and even self-harm. I created the Black Box Project for anyone who has ever felt different for any reason. Go to theblackboxproject.org to help you take the first step to healing. You are not alone. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Karina Nova from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Omicron in Ohio, what the state is asking you to do if you test positive for COVID-19. Plus, lawmakers debate if the COVID-19 vaccine should be mandated. We ask U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown to weigh in. The city of Columbus decides to seal criminal records. Hear why this could give one in three adults a chance at a better life. Thank you for joining us for Face the State. I'm Karina Nova and for Tracy Townsend. The U.S. entered a new chapter of the COVID-19 pandemic with the discovery of the Omicron variant in California. Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff with the Ohio Department of Health says right now Delta is the dominant variant in Ohio and more testing needs to be done to track Omicron. He called on Ohioans who test positive to take an additional PCR test so they can look for the variant and learn about it. Rest assured, we'll be looking for it. So we don't know yet if Omicron will be more contagious, cause more severe or less severe illness, or be more deadly. But let's remember that there were other variants of concern, ones like beta and mu, which spread rapidly in other parts of the world, but actually never took hold here. Now with Omicron, as in the past with new variants, it is time 
that will tell the story, and we will be watching very closely. Importantly, at this time, we have no indication that our vaccines will fail to provide substantial protection against even Omicron, especially we're reassured that it does appear to our vaccines do appear to protect against severe disease. Governor Mike DeWine is also keeping a close watch on the Omicron variants progress. DeWine says the systems in place here in Ohio, including monitoring and vaccination efforts, are working. DeWine acknowledged that he is concerned with a rise in one specific category. What I worry about is the hospitalizations going up across the state. They, they have continued to go up for the last few weeks. They are at a, at a much higher level than they were just two weeks ago. So, yes, I'm very concerned about that. One of the eight regions of the state, um, you know, really was overloaded. And so the hospitals and our office had to take action to make sure that patients were being taken care of. So, you know, the system is working. But, you know, it, it's something that is very concerning. We have looked at this from a county point of view and compared counties where the vaccination rate is high versus counties where the vaccination rate is low. And it's pretty much what we would have expected. In the, in the counties where the vaccination rate is low, we're just seeing a lot more people die. And that's just, you know, every one of these deaths um, was probably preventable. And that's what just kind of breaks your heart. And as Fran and I travel around the state, you know, we see people and they t we talk to people and no matter where we go, people are telling us about somebody that they know, you know, who is now in the hospital or somebody who has died. And again, it's just what breaks your heart is that these deaths are, are preventable at this point. We have the vaccine. The vaccine is how we keep people out of the hospital. The debate over mandating the COVID-19 vaccine took center stage at the State House House Bill 218, which passed the House a few weeks ago, had its first hearing in a Senate committee. The bill would prohibit Ohio employers and schools from mandating vaccines not fully approved by the federal government. A sponsor of the bill, Representative Al Catrona, said passing this bill will strengthen the workforce. Simply put, this piece of legislation is a bill to address the crisis that our country is facing, and specifically here in the state of Ohio. That crisis is the workforce. We're struggling. We're seeing shortages all across. I can tell you right now, every legislator across the board always says they're going to bring back jobs to their district, right? Well, by golly, we must be one of the best in the, in, in, you ever seen. Best in the world, right? Because, uh, you know, back home on 224, when I drive down there, every single business has got a help wanted sign. It's not because we brought new jobs back. It's those same old jobs not being filled with workers. That's a problem. We're seeing this in the healthcare industry, nursing homes. They're struggling to find the people to properly be able to take care and keep that good standard of care that's occurring in the hospitals as well. And so by putting, by putting any type of uh, restriction on there is going to hurt our workforce. The Ohio Chamber of Commerce does not agree with the bill's sponsor. President and CEO Steve Stiver said employers have a legal obligation to provide a safe workplace, and House Bill 218 limits their option to ensure the safety and well-being of employees and customers. And U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown says vaccines are the only way to get us through this pandemic. But we can't get the economy moving until until we 
until almost everybody get vaccinated. You're, you're not doing it just for your own health. You're doing it for the health of people around you. Uh, I talk to hospital people all the time that say that 95% of their patients that are in the hospital um, with COVID are unvaccinated. And that costs taxpayers at least twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars a year for every vaccine, every every sick person. Um, it means others can't get in a hospital. I've talked to hospitals in Columbus and all over that um, people that they're they're having trouble doing other taking care of other sick people because so many are are, un, are unvaccinated and in the hospital. And uh, so you're not just doing this for yourself, getting vaccinated. You're doing it for your country, your community, um, your fellow men and women. But a Delaware City Council member spoke at the Senate hearing pleading with the committee to pass the ban. Be on the right side of history and the same side as states and governors who have courageously defended their citizens. Or acquiesce to a federal government gone rogue because you didn't want to tell a business what to do while being perfectly comfortable with a man in Washington doing so. Please amend this bill to prevent vaccination mandates from being issued anywhere by anyone, anytime. Ohio is one of three states that stopped President Biden's vaccination mandate for federal contractors from taking effect. The federal judge ruled in favor of the states of Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. The lawsuit claimed the requirement is unlawful and unconstitutional. It would have taken effect January 4th. The, ju the judge said this is not about the vaccine's effectiveness. It is about the power the president has. An appeal is likely. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost had this to say say about the ruling, quote, this is not about vaccines, it's about the mandate. The judge's opinion clearly states that, and it has been our position all along, that the president cannot impose those mandates on the people. Ohio Senator Rob Portman is urging local and national governments to fight against what he calls epidemic within the pandemic. We should be a better partner. We've got to all work together to find constructive solutions to the addiction epidemic and ensure more Americans don't suffer in silence. During his speech on the Senate floor, he called for a crackdown on drug dealers and fentanyl. The senator is also pushing to improve assistance for those struggling with addiction. He's calling for it to be put into the same drug category as heroin and LSD. One in three adults in the U.S. has a criminal record which can make it difficult to find a job, housing, or federal student loans. To help those formerly incarcerated become employed, a new program has launched in Columbus to allow people who have served their time to have their criminal records sealed from public view. 10TV's Kevin Landers explains how it works. Romero Hairston makes a living stocking produce behind a glass freezer inside the Linden Fresh Market. 12 years ago, he was spending most of his days behind bars. I did 12 years in prison for aggravated robbery, home invasion. Harrison is an example of what can happen when an employer takes a chance on a person with a criminal past. I never had a job before I went to prison. I went to prison when I was 21. I got out when I was 33. We asked him how many jobs he applied for before he landed this one. Probably about 25, 30, man. It's, it's ridiculous, man. Hairston was hired despite his record. Starting December 1st, Columbus announced it will also help people with criminal records get their records sealed from public view. Councilmember Rob Dorans pushed the idea. 
How can someone with a criminal conviction rebuild their life if their record disqualifies them from nearly 25% of jobs within their community? Right where this juts out will be the uh, counter. Community Development for All People is building this Southside Cafe that will open next year. We are planning on roasting our own coffee. Its mission is to hire people with a criminal past. The record will not be a disqualifier. It's basically, are you willing to work? Are you willing to do what's required for the job and treat your fellow uh, workers and the community with uh, dignity and respect like you would expect to be treated? Getting someone's criminal record sealed from public view is not as simple as walking into the courthouse and requesting it. First, a judge must decide if you qualify, and that means looking at someone's criminal record, not just from Ohio. If applying to seal a misdemeanor, a person will have to wait a year after it's been discharged, same for fourth or fifth degree felonies. If applying to seal a record with a third degree felony, a person will have to wait three years after it's been discharged. Crimes of violence or sex offenses don't qualify to be sealed. While Hairston wouldn't qualify, he has a message for employers who don't want to take a chance on someone he used to be. Some of the hardest workers out here. Some of the hardest workers out here, like, just give people a chance. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. If you know someone who has a record and is looking for work, we have more resources on our website at 10TV.com. Two Ohio Democrats are pushing to create the Foster Youth Bill of Rights. The sponsors of the bill say it would give at least 15,000 children in the state's custody more knowledge about their options and give them more of a voice in their care. Right now, more than 3,000 foster children in Ohio are waiting to be adopted. The director of Buckeye Ranch, Amy Nim, says the pandemic has caused less flexibility to allow more children in need into homes. She's now more than ever, says, they are hoping to find homes for these children in time for the holidays. But when you get that look from a child that says, wow, I think you really unconditionally accept me or love me, um, I don't know that there really is a better feeling in the world. Still to come, an update on a 10 Investigates report about a man accused of running an illegal funeral home. What changes lawmakers are trying to do to regulate the funeral industry more here in Ohio. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. In need of a distraction? That's what we do best. Our hosts are expertly trained in the field of nonsense. Unplug your brain and plug us in. Proud to be your home for the Buckeyes, Blue Jackets crew, and forgetting about the world for a while. The Fan. This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. Back to Karina Nova, courtesy of 10TV. A bill that was discussed in the state Senate would revise the law regarding funerals and funeral services. 10TV highlighted the importance of laws surrounding funeral homes with a story 10 Investigates broke about a man with local ties accused of running an illegal funeral home here in Columbus. Shante Hardin was indicted by a Lucas County grand jury on 37 charges ranging from abuse of a corpse to representing as a funeral director while unlicensed. At least a dozen complaints 
complaints filed against him since 2016 with the Ohio Board of Embalmers and Funeral Directors. And one complaint says a body was so decomposed the skin was slipping off and mothballs were used to help eliminate the odor of death. Another complaint says a worker at a cemetery in Akron got sick after Hardin showed up in an old rusty van with a body for burial that had a pronounced smell of decomposition. This is a tangled web and those involved say answers are somewhere between deceit and greed. 10 TV anchor Andrew Kinsey explains. The funeral industries work very hard to try to accommodate families, grieving families of deceased. Death is a natural part of life, but it's also a business. Marvin Johnson owns Johnson Mortuary Transport. He says in the past, he's dealt with Shante Harden. He introduced himself to me as being a funeral director and an embalmer who owned two funeral homes, one in Akron and another one in Warren. Harton has never been licensed as a funeral director in Ohio, nor as an embalmer. Johnson thinks Harton's business practices sometimes skirted Ohio law. What he would do was allow the funeral home to do the actual, a licensed funeral home to do the embalming, and then he would come in from that port and ask for a transfer of the deceased to his care. In a week's time back in 2017, a civil lawsuit shows that exact thing happened several times here at Dill Whitaker Funeral Services in Columbus, which raised a red flag. Eventually, the owner accused Harton of costing him time and money. He's gotten away with it for so long. I just think Shantae began to think he was invincible. Marlon Gary owns Marlon Gary Funeral Homes. He's known Shantae since he was a teen. While he's worked in several funeral homes, Gary says Harton lacks the professional training to care for the dead. There was one instance where he picked up a, a deceased from our funeral home. He picked him up in a minivan. He did not have a gurney, so he transported the human remains from my gurney into the back of his van with a coffee table turned upside down, the four legs sticking up in order to support the body from moving around in the back of his van. Despite knowing his past and a lack of a state license, Gary says his hands have been tied when dealing with Harden. In Ohio, you can't uh, hold a body, what we say, for ransom. Um, if a family wants to move a body, they have every right to do so. State investigators say Harton told families he was associated with a licensed funeral director with the Islamic Church, now living in Maryland. The doctor told investigators he knows Harton, but never agreed to allow him to use his name and license number at free will. Who knows who's embalming for him? Maybe that's something that will come out uh, in this investigation. According to family interviews with state investigators, on several occasions, Harton would transfer bodies here to Donovan Funeral Home near Akron. It's the same business fined in the past for associating with Shantae Harton. After several unreturned calls to the owner, we showed up to get answers. This is Andrew Kinsey with WBNS. Yeah, he's not in. I can have him give you a call. Uh, yes, can I leave my number? Sure. The owner never called back. Some families we spoke with say they can't put their dealings with Harton behind them because they have questions about cremated remains they received and death certificates still missing.
how does another human being look at themselves and says that that's okay? It, it just boggles my mind. As former mayor of Toledo, where Hardin once did business, State Representative Paula Hicks Hudson is familiar with his name. She's outraged by Hardin's ability to build a business enterprise using what she says are loopholes in the state law. It makes no sense that families who are grieving, hurting, um, will be taken advantage of in such a way. Hicks Hudson is now pushing for legislation to ensure there are stronger requirements and oversight for those dealing with the dead and harsher legal action for those caught operating without a license. We've got it drafted. Now we just got to get it to to the other, like to the federal, to the funeral board and some other places for them to look at it and to, to give me their opinions as to whether or not this is going to address that particular issue. And that was Andrew Kinsey reporting. Hicks Hudson is not the only lawmaker looking to address gray areas in the state law when it comes to funeral-related practices. A comprehensive bill already in the Senate is getting favorable action and support from the state board. Right now, Hardin has been ordered to not accept money from families or engaged in funeral-related activities, which includes transporting bodies. His attorney says Hardin helped people through a difficult and expensive process within the boundaries of the law. They are currently preparing for his trial, which is set to begin February 7th. Up next in this morning's note of promise, some words of encouragement for the men and women working the front lines in Ohio's hospitals. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Hey, this is Grace Gosted. I'm a singer-songwriter, and like many, I've been traumatized by years of bullying. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're gay. You're worthless. Bullying causes real harm and can result in severe long-term depression, anxiety, addiction, and even self-harm. I created the Black Box Project for anyone who has ever felt different for any reason. Go to theblackboxproject.org to help you take the first step to healing. You are not alone. Each year, Ohioans are injured and killed in train car accidents that could have been avoided with properly functioning gates and flashing lights. Facts show that gates and lights together prevent more train car accidents than stop signs or crossbucks alone. How can you help? Approach all crossings with caution and report bad railroad crossings at angelsontrack.org. That's angelsontrack.org. Because bad crossings kill good drivers. Sponsored by Angels on Track, aired by OAB and this station. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Karina Nova, courtesy of 10TV. In Columbus, there was a ceremony cementing the legacy of a long-tenured public servant. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine was on hand as the State Department of Transportation named its central office the Jerry Ray Building. Ray was the agency's only two-time director, serving a total of 16 years for two governors, George Voinovich and John Kasich. Kind of overwhelmed. I didn't know what we were going to do, but this is beyond anything I expected. And Governor and Jack, thank you so much for your comments. Uh, this is incredible. Uh, I am completely humbled and, and honored. Ray began his career in ODOT's engineering and training program back in 1969. 
In this morning's note of promise, a tribute to the hardworking men and women in the healthcare industry. And we don't need to tell you how much stress the pandemic has put on those who work in Ohio's hospitals. Face the state anchor Tracy Townsend emceed an event to honor the hospital heroes. The ceremony was called Healing Ohio Together. Here's what the governor had to say at that event. Hello, I'm Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. It's my pleasure to be able to participate in this event today. Thank you all for your selfless work throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. From clinicians to support staff, you've endured a once-in-a-lifetime health crisis and answered the call when Ohioans needed you. Thank you so very much. Ohio is renowned for our world-class medical institutions. Today, I want to recognize three leaders who committed themselves early on to getting Ohioans through this. Dr. Richard Lofgren from UC Health, Dr. Andy Thomas from the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, and Dr. Robert Wiley from the Cleveland Clinic answered the call, joined together with us to develop a statewide healthcare infrastructure network. In fact, literally, We've had hundreds of early morning calls, spontaneous, unscheduled calls throughout the pandemic. It's been a real pleasure to work with them. And I've gotten to see what amazing pros they are. This unprecedented partnership ensures that providers across the state have the supplies and resources they need while ensuring patients are at the appropriate place to receive the best care. This extraordinary partnership brings the state's health systems together to serve Ohioans as a team. And we leave you this morning with a couple of stories that'll get you in the holiday mood. A local choir performed at the State House to get everyone ready for the annual lighting of the State House Christmas tree. Then Santa and Mrs. Claus made a guest appearance to take pictures with the kids. And Governor DeWine joined Shabbat rabbis from all over the state for the fifth night of Hanukkah menorah lighting ceremony. DeWine used the event to urge college and university presidents to ensure that Jewish students feel safe on campus and to denounce hate. Well, thank you all for being here with us today. And remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Karina Nova, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. When times get dark, we can't see the help that's all around us. Maybe you're not sure how you'll make rent, or you lost your job. When you don't know where to turn, let 211 be your guiding light. Our guides are ready to connect you with the help you need. 211, how can I help you? 
Call or visit 211.org. 211. Get connected. Get help. A message from United Way and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. And you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. We have the world at our fingertips. Inspiration in our touch and power in our hands. Right here, in our hands. We have the power to save a life. If you see a teen or adult suddenly collapse, call 911 and push hard and fast in the center of the chest. The power is in your hands. Anthem Foundation is the proud national supporter of the American Heart Association's hands-only CPR campaign. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is John Seeger, who is the president and CEO of Population Connection. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for talking to us. What is Population Connection? We're a national grassroots group that encourages people to think about the impact of population growth on their communities and on their lives and to consider uh, how we could have a better world. Okay, and so what are the roots of the organization? How did it get started, uh, and who's involved in it? Sure. We were founded about 50 years ago uh, under the name Zero Population Growth. Uh, over time, we found that, uh, uh, that that name didn't fully capture what we were looking to do because there are so many ways that population growth and human population connects with people's lives, whether it's the environment or our economic welfare or our safety, you name it. And so we shifted our name about 20 years ago and we, we do two things. We try to encourage young people to make population connections and to think about it. And we also advocate for programs uh, such as voluntary family planning that we think can make people's lives better. It's outstanding. And uh, so if, if folks wanted to uh, get more information, where do they find it online? They can go to POP. Connect, P-O-P, connect.org. And uh, we've got all sorts of information, and if they dig around, they'll even find my email address, and they're more than welcome to be in touch with me directly. All right, outstanding. Talking with uh, John Seeger, who's the president and CEO of Population Connection. We're going to talk about the population and whether it's going to grow or not. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, a lot of folks, uh, younger folks, not too keen on having kids, I understand. Concerns in that regard, but uh, and I was young at one time. Uh, I can sort of remember it. Uh, I think I think being young uh, puts puts us all in a position where we don't know exactly how our lives are going to unfold in the world around us. 
And I think it's, it's healthy for people to think carefully about what is, for many of us, the most momentous personal decision we'll ever make, which is a decision to have children and how many to have them have and when to have them. So there does seem to be concern out there. But then again, I think we're all concerned these days between COVID and climate change and the uncertainties in the economy and now inflation. So I think the concern of young people just reflects the concerns that we all have in these times. There are uh, a lot of things swirling around in people's heads these days. Uh, a study from the Pew Research Center showed they surveyed 3,800 Americans, 18 to 49. 44% of them said it's not too likely or not likely at all that they'll have kids someday, up seven points from 2018. Pretty significant change. Change. And, of course, we don't know how people are going to feel 5, 10, or 20 years from now. Uh, just imagine and think about how much our world has changed just in the last five years alone in terms of the politics and the health care and other considerations that, that are out there. So one always has to take the findings at any given moment with a grain of salt. But what we really focus on is trying to make sure that we can create circumstances where every child has an opportunity for a great life. And what's really key is having a society where everybody has a chance to be participating and to be productive and focusing more on that and less on which way the numbers are going on any given day. You know, it really is amazing when you think about how much life has changed. I I can go back, you know, back to the 60s and remember life. and, and, And in general, other than, you know, the whistles and bells of the internet and things like that, general life around a household hasn't changed a whole lot except for areas where it's a dramatic shift, like many, many more women in the workplace, things like that. Some of the gender differences have been huge over that time. Absolutely, and and I know exactly what you mean when you talk about women in the workplace, but I think you would agree with me that women have always been in the workplace. Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Anybody who has uh, uh, ever uh, spent time, uh, as I have, uh, being the person at home while my wife was out in the paid workplace knows that the, uh, the, the work never ends. So what is happening these days, though, and this is a very positive development in itself, is that every career now is a woman's career. And what happens when women have more opportunities, they tend to have their children a bit later in life. One of the real challenges is that we as a society do a terrible job of supporting families, of trying to help families get over the tremendous challenges that come from from having two working parents, which is often necessary these days, and which also is something that people want to do in many cases. We're just not very good at providing the basic support in terms of uh, family leave, in terms of access to health care, in terms of making sure that every kid has a great education. If we do those things, we're all going to benefit. Talking with uh, John Seeger, president and CEO of Population Connection. You know, I I wonder sometimes uh, whether we are as resilient as we used to be, because you look back 100 years ago, there were no nursing homes. there There were no places to put elderly people and families took care of them and had large families with a lot of kids at the same time. need to keep in mind here is that 
all of us want to have meaningful and fulfilling lives. And for really a, a more time than even history allows us to see, the burden of caregiving has fallen on women disproportionately. And, uh, and certainly women all over the world have stepped up and done more than their fair share in that regard, whether it's with children or with, with older relatives. And I think it's time for us men to step up and do more of our part in this regard and, and get better at that. Uh, you know, it, it, I think if you want to see positive change, the best place to look is in the mirror. And, and certainly I can see areas where I can improve. Uh, and so maybe it's time for men to step up a little more and see what happens if we do. Yeah, it almost uh, seems hard to imagine that men could be as resilient as women have been, <laughs> you know? The, the strongest people I've ever known uh, have been women, by and large. Yeah. And they, uh, I, I, uh, I, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so with this uh, somewhat stagnant population, I mean, Ohio's population, you know, not that we have, you know, the kind of weather to keep people here as they get older and retire, but our population's been pretty stagnant for a good 30 years now. Does that put states on far different courses from each other when it comes to family life, economy, all that kind of stuff? This is a very interesting question, and I think it's one that hasn't been explored effectively, generally. For example, even though U.S. population grew by about 7%, which was a slower rate than we've seen in recent decades over the past decade, about 7%, most counties in the United States lost population. And we need to have a better model and a better support system for communities that are growing smaller. Smaller doesn't have to be a bad thing for a community, but you've got to have better systems so that if, if you're going to have fewer kids uh, in school because of population declines, how do you make sure that those schools uh, continue to serve those students? If you've got a declining property tax base, how do you avoid taxing farmers into bankruptcy, which happens often these days? Uh, and, you know, farmers work hard 365 days a year, and, and often they only get one payday every year at harvest time. Right. And, of course, depending on the, the crop and all of that. But the point here is we need to have better systems to support smaller communities. On the other hand, if you look, for example, at the Columbus area in Ohio, uh, Columbus is, has been growing pretty substantially. And even within that, there's a real challenge. There are about 75,000 children living in poverty in the Columbus area. And that's a tremendous waste of potential, even leaving aside the obvious pain and difficulty of living in poverty. We need to focus on lifting people up and making sure that we're not leaving people behind. Right. I think we're the uh, the largest growing city in the Midwest, and yet affordable housing is you know, one of the, I guess, inevitable challenges that comes with that as well. It is, and one of the real landmark changes this year, we'll have to see what happens going forward, has, has been the child tax credit program initiated and championed by President Biden. That is lifting about half of the children in the United States and about half the children in the Columbus area out of poverty. And I can't think of anything we could do that could improve the lives 
of people more effectively than that. Kids deserve an opportunity to grow up in a safe, secure environment and not live in a family situation where people are worried about how they're going to pay the rent next month or, or whether they're going to be able to afford to put food on the table and, and provide uh, a, a little bit of life's niceties as well for their children. Talking with John Seeger, president and CEO of Population Connection. You know, it's interesting with the rural areas, connectivity has always been an issue. In the past, it was trains and, and public transportation and roads and things like that, which it still is, but also now internet connectivity, which is a problem in some rural areas that hopefully this infrastructure package will help address. Absolutely. If you go back to, to President Eisenhower, uh, that's when we had a massive investment in infrastructure, uh, which produced uh, today's modern interstate highway system that linked us together as a nation. Now, you have to do that in other, by other means as well, and that's why it's so important to make sure that, that people who live in the most rural, remote areas of our country and people who live in inner cities who often don't have the resources to connect to the Internet have those kind of connections. It's a necessity in modern life, and we need to make sure that Internet service is, is something that, that everyone has as a basic form of communication. Well, John, one other uh, area that could be a huge change that is highly controversial is uh, the Roe versus Wade decision. Uh, there are 600,000 abortions a year in the U.S. If they become illegal, what does that do to the population? When you enact laws or when the Supreme Court were to put down, if the Supreme Court were to come down with a decision that dramatically restricts abortion, it doesn't change that. What it does is it makes it illegal and it makes it more dangerous and it's going to cost women their lives and it's going to cause cause all kinds of pain and suffering. It's high time that we trust women to know what is best for themselves and for their bodies. And if we do that, we're going to be better off. But sadly, it doesn't seem like the current court is going to move in that direction. I I think there are some areas where uh, the government can play a very key role, making sure we have good highways, good Internet service. But when it comes to people's private lives, the less the government is imposing itself within that sphere, the better. It's not something the government is very good at. Talking with John Seeger with Population Connection, any other aspects of this uh, that you want to explore? Well, I would just note that we, we do think, as an organization, that we'd be better off if the world was a little less crowded. But we believe strongly that the way to achieve that is by lifting people up. For example, when children grow up in a safe, secure environment and they're able to have successful lives and and get embarked on careers, they often choose to have fewer children and to have them later in life. And we think that can be a very positive development, that uh, there's no shortage of people in this world. We just have to create more opportunities for the people who are here. It can often provoke an interesting conversation, and that's all to the good. Right. John Seeger, President and CEO of Population Connection. John, give us uh, information again on how folks can find out more about your organization. They can visit Population Connection by going to popconnect, P-O-P, connect.org. 
lots of information there and maybe some food for thought as well. Great. Uh, John, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Have a great day. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.